get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Kimberly C. Paul. Kimberly chose to leave her dream job in television and film to discover the authentic stories at the bedside of the dying. Working for hospice was supposed to be only a temporary job until she could build relationships in the film industry in Wilmington, North Carolina. But this temporary job spread over 17 years as Vice President of Communications and Outreach for a local hospice in North Carolina. Since her book, Bridging the Gap, was published on April 13, 2018, Kimberly's on her next adventure speaking throughout the United States. But she's doing it a little differently than anyone expected. In June 2018, she bought an RV, downsized her belongings, and hit the road with her German Shepherd Haven. Kimberly's named her adventure the Live Well, Die Well Tour because, she states, the more I talk about death, the more boldly I feel I'm living life to the fullest. Welcome, Kimberly. Hi, how are you? I'm well. Uh, you're fulfilling a a, um, a dream that I have that I, I may not get to in this lifetime <laughs> of, of traveling around in an RV. My wife and I have had that fantasy for couple decades but it, it hasn't quite worked out so I'm I'm uh, I hope we'll talk a little about what that's like but oh sure uh, let's start with um, one you know I read your book bridging the gap and uh, one thing that really stood out is you seem to kind of follow your instincts pretty well and it sounds as if that was a talent you had um, you know, er, early on in your life or throughout your life, could you say a little bit how, uh, a little bit of your life story, how you got to this moment here? Sure. Well, you know, growing up with uh, a father that spent 40 years in the Virginia State Police, you know, he, he would test my instincts and, and skills. And so we would be in a restaurant somewhere and he'd be back in the car and like, tell me your surroundings and what, what was going on there. And, and so I had this kind of this really great classroom to be aware of, of certain things and, and, and your surroundings. And, and, you know, I, I, I love to hear that people think I have instincts. Um, I, I don't, I don't think that about myself, but I also know that I, I'm a risk taker. Um, and I don't, I don't know where that came along. <laughs> I don't think my father or my mother, um, allowed me or, you know, instilled that in me. I think I was the middle child and I was always the one wanting to sail off into the sunset. And, you know, my brother and sister were crying to go home. Um, but I, I always, 
You know, as as a 12-year-old, you know, um, Gloria Monty, which was the executive producer for the longest time for General Hospital, really changed my whole look at storytelling through di- daytime television. And, and she really brought uh, the everyday story to the surface and, and made it be an adventure. And, and that's how I sort of look at life is when you recognize that it will end one day, then you sort of push yourself um, to experience things in, in different ways and, and hopefully put yourself in an in individual shoes. And, and so, you know, I, I didn't want to go to college. I, I remember sitting in the stairwell crying um, because my parents were like, go to college. Um, you are going to go to college. I wanted to go to New York City and, and be on Broadway um, and, and really be a part of uh, a weekly production. And but they they really said no. We want we really want you to have a degree, and and so I went to Meredith College in Raleigh, North Carolina. Which, if you have uh, a a young uh, girl, um, I would highly recommend that college. It's an all girls undergraduate program in Raleigh, North Carolina. It really instilled leadership. Um, it allowed women to hold leadership positions. And so when, as soon as I got, got my paper and I was free, um, I headed to New York City and within 30 days landed a gig on NBC um, Saturday Night Live, which, you know, every, it sounds so glamorous, but I was a peon. I was a no one. I ran errands and I got sandwiches for the stars. And, and, but I, I was in the hallway and I mm. saw what it took for these these skits to be produced and and then I later on went to CBS and fulfilled my ultimate dream about working in daytime television um but that's I, that's interesting right there uh, yeah. yeah I have some I have some daytime television watchers in my life <laughs> and uh, it's not it's not a goal you hear typically for a young person to have I want to work in daytime television right you know it's, Maybe more people have that dream than I know, but it yeah, did stand out that that was that was what you were really focused on, and you brought that about. Yeah, and I mean, it's all Gloria Monte. I mean, she was a very I to to the point that I even wrote her a letter and she responded. Um, and I wish I could find that letter because today that would mean so much to me um, because she's she's passed away and and but she's been she was a woman in a leadership position and she changed daytime television the way she's told stories with the Luke and Laura and um, you know all all of that came to in 1991 a huge crossroads and I just happened to be of the age that got sucked in to do yeah. that. And, um, but you know, one day I was sitting in, in CBS and, uh, right there in New York city and I looked 35 floors down and I just saw people, you know, these little things, but they were people, you know, moving, um, you know, living their lives. And I felt like I was on a veranda, um, looking down and not fully living my life. And so something inside of me was like, it's time to go. Um, I, I've, I've done this. Um, and, and working in television, you know, when you're in your early 20s is, is an eye-opening experience. Um, you know, a lot of things that come with television back then, um, a lot of egos. And I really wanted, I really wanted, I was in love with the story and, and how it can make me cry or feel. And so within two weeks, I packed my stuff and headed back to North Carolina. So it was, it's, that's the kind of a little synopsis of kind of where and how I got where I was. And 
And to tell you the truth, I, I stopped in, in Raleigh to visit friends for a couple of years and then said, you know what, maybe I can do television in my home state in North Carolina and went down to Wilmington in all efforts to really follow my dream back into television and and follow, uh, you know, Dawson's Creek. And it was a huge production in the, in the local coastal town there at, the, at one point. And that never really did happen. Um, I... I got a job at, at hospice and it was, was, it really, really opened my eyes to, to life. Um, and I felt like I was, if you ever feel like you were born to do something, that's, that's the job. Um, and I was just a volunteer program manager and it, at the time it was a very small hospice with like 50 patients. And when I left, it was a very large hospice and became the second not largest nonprofit in the state of North Carolina. But again, I, I feel like what I learn is that I know when I've done all I can and it's time to leave. <laughs> and, and so maybe so. that's, and then, but then you, you, you kind of know where to go at that point too, it seems like. I'm well, sure it's a little, a little longer and more complicated than that, but. Uh, yeah, I think my parents were a little shocked when um, I, I told them that I was retiring from corporate America. And and that's what hospice became to me is is corporate um, about the numbers and about and and not about the people and it was just perfect timing. I had been working with them for 17 years under the same CEO and the new CEO came and um, it was it was time to allow the new person to have people she trusted at her side and it was just a perfect timing and I, I pitched my podcast. Um, to this hospice and they, they said no. And, and I thought, well, gosh, you know, there was something inside of me that really thought that a podcast on death and dying, it wasn't many back then. And I thought this is how on a national level we can uh, have a conversation and normalize it by allowing individuals to be a fly on the wall with some of these experts. But I knew, I knew this. I just didn't want clinical people to be a part of this conversation. I wanted artists and I wanted caregivers and I wanted, I wanted to create a platform where the everyday person reclaimed death from the medical community because it's not a medical event. It's a human event and, and really reclaim their voice. And so I'm just shocked that people listen to the podcast, <laughs> and because you just never should, know. <laughs> I may have mentioned in the in the bio, but um, uh, we should mention the name of the podcast, which is um, "Death by Design," which I like quite a bit, uh, <laughs> um, because of course you're also part of a kind of upswelling, having having been in the end of life grief death community for a long time. I feel the last hmm, five or ten years are really different. Mm. Uh, lots of people doing incredible things to just have the 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 conversation be more available and open and and um, visible. Yeah, and you know, I what I'm finding, especially um, on you know my tour that I'm on now, is is that people are not afraid to talk about death. I feel like they just need permission. And and here you have, you know, this 45-year-old kid, well, I call myself a kid, but in this RV, never driven an RV before, and we're sitting around campfires talking about how we're going to die and laughing and, and engaging. And the one thing that's occurring 
And that what, I, what I'm finding, and it's exactly what I feel like has been missing a long time in this end-of-life industry, is connection. You know, because uh-huh. doctors got into this business and nurses got into this business and hospice nurses for connection. They wanted to help people. And I feel just as bad for the clinical people working in this environment as I do the patients. And soon maybe well, I, what I will experience when I become a patient or facing my own end of life. And it's not it's not fun. It's not fun. It's a, we've we've monetized death. And, you know, I keep saying, you know, Dame Cicely Saunders would roll over in her grave to know um, the, what American America has done to the hospice and palliative care industry. Um, and that's that's a bold statement for me. But she created something to live outside of the medical model. And we keep pushing it inside the medical model. And um, that's that's one of my things that I really want um, individuals to to do is to to reclaim that um, we're all going to face that, and I I want to do it on my own terms. That that's interesting. Of course, a lot of that in my mind does have to do with reimbursement. Sure, sure. Um, you know the the, the rules around uh, hospice qualification and the way it has to go. Uh, make it very difficult sometimes. I guess I was sort of privileged because my wife was in hospice. She kept getting recertified for a couple of years there. Um, right. <laughs> at right. least two years. And it was invaluable to have that exactly. kind of that kind of support. And I'm sure it actually reduced cost. We didn't need the really big, expensive stuff all the time. Absolutely. Uh, you know, but we did need support. And... Um, and access and um, somebody kind of watching out. Uh, so I'm hoping that that perhaps can shift some over time, so, so that people can get um, get those things that they need. Absolutely, and I'm I, and you're talking to someone who is a large uh, cheerleader for that. Um, and I also feel like. You know, when when you're in an industry, um, there's certain things you do really, really well, and there's certain things you do really, really bad. And I think what hospice and palliative care has done uh, is we can take care of individuals facing end of life, and thank God we have those. Um, the reimbursement has made it, and the regulations have made it just a little bit more interesting, <laughs> but yeah. also, but also it's you know the thing that we do very bad at is we. We um, don't take care of the people taking care of the dying, oh, and absolutely. I and I want to change that. I want I want hospices to take care of their employees as well as they take as just as great as they do a patient and family because they're so good at at it. But yet, when we it comes to our own staff, I think there's a lot of room for improvement. Well, in terms of especially, I notice because I intersect with a lot of hospices and, you know, um, services like the Women's Cancer Resource Center out here. Um, we're not great at grief, Mm-mm. at taking the time for grief, which, of course, always gets my attention, you know, considering the, the focus of my work. But uh, things move so quickly and there's so much to do mm. that that um, encouraging ourselves to have those feelings which are natural to being exposed to 
many, 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 many losses all the time. Uh, that's that's a big uh, a big area of concern for me. Yeah, and you know that's the that's that's the one thing. The one question I ask if if a hospice wants to work with me is like, do you take care of your employees? And they ultimately say yes. And the first question after that is, I say, well, what's your bereavement policy? Because if it's three days, I'm not so. So, yeah, yeah. So there's a big factor in your in your uh, trajectory towards what you're doing now, going around and having these end of life conversations and all that that we haven't touched on yet. And uh, we're almost it's almost time for a break. But before the break, I just want to introduce Apple. Oh, and yeah. then and then <laughs> after the break, let's talk more about Apple because. Sure. Uh, I, I I have a great fondness for him. Oh, I do too. <laughs> I, I do too. Can Can you just tell people who Apple was? Sure. Um, he is a guy that I fell in love with, and he was a police officer and went into the FBI. And um, you know, we we went our separate ways for a while, and then our lives intersected at a very very interesting way and and to to the fact even today his parents are still very much a part of my life so um that's that's apple in a nutshell and i'll i'll be glad to to read an excerpt of the book um explaining uh, you know exactly what occurred but um it's it's a, it really is a mystery how answers find you when you're ready to hear them um and that's sort of the mystery behind how i um learned about um, Apple and about the things that occurred to him after we had broken up. And so that's that's the sort of the, the great thing. But this is, you know, I'm still very much involved with his family and his sisters. And it, it means so much, um, even though someone is no longer with us, um, that they can still be living um, among us yeah, throughout I, the I, I liked very much one of your chapter names. It was something like "There's no cl- there's no such thing as closure," <laughs> right? Um, because I I really That's hate that gross. word. I I have to admit I really don't like that word very much at all, because it gives a false impression. Mm, uh, uh, and I would never want those relationships I have with all my dead people to end. <laughs> right. <laughs> So let's cu- come back and you can you can read about Apple and we'll talk more about him. And listeners, you can find links to my website, social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. Uh, like me on Facebook. There's there's links to Twitter, LinkedIn, etc. There's also a a nice big ad at the top to purchase my novel, which just came out in September. Uh, and to find Kimberly, you can go to deathbydesign.com. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Today's woman faces a stressful world when it comes to staying healthy. We are bombarded by media messages with contradicting ideas about fitness and nutrition. We need to keep our diet, relationships, and stress in check. It's time to get the right message and have the most fun. Join hosts Andrea Beeman, Lisa Lutan, and Michelle Fenighaus for Healthy View Radio. 
It's health and happiness in one show. Every Thursday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Health & Wellness. What sets apart VoiceAmerica.tv from the other video content providers on the Internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main VoiceAmerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Relationship issues? Anxious? Parenting challenges? No more. Learn how to live your best life. Tune into Straight Talk with top psychotherapist, relationship, and anxiety expert, Sandra Reich. In this program, you'll learn how to transform your challenges into effective solutions, whether it's relationships, parenting, anxiety issues, or other life traps that you struggle with. Sandra will show you how to change them and how to live the life of your dreams. Listen every Thursday afternoon at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. There is a difference in health and wellness programs. There can be mainstream programs, and then there is something extra. That something extra is called tips to keep you healthy, happy, and motivated with your host, Kristen Harper. If you want to hear some behind-the-scenes talk radio when it comes to health and wellness, the why as well as the how, be sure to tune in each week. This show will inspire you to be healthy and happy for life, as well as become the best version of yourself. Listen Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Kimberly Paul about her work with her podcast, Death by Design, and her book, Bridging the Gap, as well as a current tour she's all on called Live Well, Die Well Tour in an RV. Uh, And Kimberly, before the break, we just barely, we kind of teased people with with Apple. Mm. Uh, Let's let's talk more fully, because I've... Uh, you know, it, it seems to me that you had all the uh, all these ingredients for this to become the focus of your life, mm. uh, and that somehow Apple was was um, a necessary um, catalyst mm. uh, for this to really become so powerful for you. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I think when when I learned you know, about his death. Um, it, it made everything more personal. Um, I mean, especially when he was 30 years old and, um, and, and the way I found out and that I didn't know the truth until, till one night, um, in April. 
you know, back in the early 2000, I think it was 2004 when I found out, found out. Um, and I'm happy to read a little excerpt from the book if you'd like. Um, that would be great. So, of course, this is chapter seven. Um, and seven is, I didn't plan it like that, but it's a very important number in my life and in uh, and Rob's life. Uh, he died May 7th. And um, and this is just pick some about when I was was dating a guy and he got accepted into the FBI Academy and he chose to dedicate his time to becoming the agent he dreamed of as a child. We mutually agreed to briefly halt our relationship, making promises to reconnect after his graduation. I had professional aspirations of my own, so it made perfect sense. Our last weekend together was magic. I remember clearly driving away in my Jeep Wrangler, heading east and watching his Del Sol disappear in my rearview mirror as Apple drove north. I felt overwhelmed and grateful at the same time. I was so thankful for the emotions I could feel toward another human being. I wasn't afraid because I knew in time we would be together again. But that was the last time I saw him. There were no cards, phone calls, or emails after that weekend. What I thought was a pause in our relationship, allowing both of us to obtain our individual goals, was an actual breakup, and I was devastated. I was haunted by the small town of Garner after he left. Memories of our relationship replayed in my mind every time I passed a restaurant or movie theater. The questions lingered. Nothing at all. Not even a phone call. Not even an email. In search of a major change to jumpstart my life again, I packed my things and moved to the east coast of North Carolina in 1999. I chose the coastal town of Wilmington, hoping to work once again in the film industry. Wilmington's film and studio opportunities were on hiatus when I arrived, so I took a position with a hospice organization overseeing their volunteer program. It was a temporary position, or so I thought. My life seemed to be gaining traction. I was working full-time, living at the beach, and meeting new people. It had been five years since my relationship with Apple had ended. A co-worker with hospice asked me to be a bridesmaid in her wedding, and I reluctantly, and I underline reluctantly, accepted. At the age of 34, I was not interested in pursuing a dress, purchasing a dress I would never wear again. I was not interested in being betrayed as the mid-30s spinster in the, in the wedding party who had never found her soul. The night before the wedding, I arrived late to the rehearsal dinner overlooking the Atlantic Ocean. The Oceanic Restaurant at Wrightsville Beach is magical. Running in, I picked a random table, and I struck up a conversation with a lovely group attending the dinner. They were complete strangers to me. Making small talk, a lady next to me mentioned her husband used to work for the police department in Garner, North Carolina. Without much pause, I said, I used to know someone that worked for the Garner Police Department. Who, she said. Apple. I responded as casually as I could. Wow, she said as she continued to eat. Now that is a sad story. My mind began to race. Was he killed in the line of duty working for the FBI? But I chose not to say a word and let her share her next thought. He died, she said. He was in love with this girl in Garner, she continued, and broke up with her and never told her that he had cancer. He died in hospice care only 18 months later. I was completely paralyzed. I don't recall much after that moment, but I do know I managed to reach out and grab that woman's arm. I looked her straight in the eye and said, you're talking to the girl. So that was sort of um, how I found out that um, ultimately that I think he did love me. Um, he saved me and in a way that 
um, not many people are able to do. Uh, but I eventually went to see his parents. I tracked his parents down and found uh, a lot of my questions were were answered. And um, that was one. I, I remember talking to his mother, Lynn, and was saying, you know, how, why, why wasn't I informed, or what, what was the disconnect? And and she told me the story about how he would work night shifts with the Garner Police Department. And I had just recently lost a friend in high school with bone cancer, just a rare bone cancer, Brian Butler from Monacan High School in Richmond, Virginia. And um, I said, you know, I know my dad's a police officer, you're a police officer, but at night it's just a little bit more scary. I just don't want anything to happen. So please take extra precaution because I just don't think I could lose anyone else at this time in my life. And his mother grabbed my arm and said, well, I think he heard you. Um, and and that's sort of... And of- <laughs> what's, your fa- what's your fantasy, Kimberly? You know, had he not, do you think you would have... I mean, I... I imagine because I certainly I'm of course projecting <laughs> I, I certainly did not think that I could handle it I was pretty young not quite as young but when my when my wife was so ill uh, I, I'm not sure I would have said I could handle it and yet I did yeah, <laughs> you know right, right. and um, so and of course given the fact that you then not long after that became so deeply involved in hospice, there's sort of an ironic feeling about that. I know. I mean, I was sitting at the, my desk with the, the title VP of communications uh, of outreach for a local nonprofit in Wilmington, North Carolina at working at a hospice when I, when I heard this news and, you know, a lot of people ask me that. um, And I try not to romanticize it. I, I think he did it his way. And I think ultimately me working in hospice allowed me to see and appreciate that. Um, you know, a lot of people are like, well, if you didn't get cancer, which I'll be together. I have, I have no idea. How Um, how could you possibly know that? Yeah, I I don't have a, uh, a (laughs) feeling about it, but that's different than knowing, isn't it? Yeah. And, and I, I, I try not to even go there. Um, I really do. And I think there's certain things that occurred in our relationship. Um, like I got a friend to come and do black and white pictures of us. And, and that, that was, I remember so clearly when I went to visit his parents for the first time that his mom took me into her bedroom and there it sat on her dresser of that picture that's enclosed in the book. And it's just a headshot of him and I, but it's, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know what to say. But this is what's crazy, is I never thought Rob Apple would be part of my legacy, and it is. Yes, uh, he's he's giving me um, a very personal and a unique personal story um, to to create a platform to have conversations around this whole process. And what's crazy is, you, you know, the way I'm doing this tour, it was so important to me to launch the tour, the tour off with his family and in, in outside of Cincinnati now. And, and that was, I wanted, to, I wanted it to mean something. And so reading that excerpt in front of his parents several times, um, you know, you, you don't think you can do it. 
and and looking at his mom and dad and and r- listening to that story again but it's a way that excites the both of us that it's a way to keep rob's memory alive and and, and that and yes and in you know, honoring of him. Yeah. And because living, look yeah. how much it created for you, this experience. <laughs> L- look where it went. Yeah. Um, which which I is is my biggest takeaway in five years of doing this show. Look where it went, <laughs> you know, because it's so surprising what becomes of our experiences, where they where they lead us. Um so thanks thanks to Apple from yeah. you know, everybody else. Uh benefiting from your work too yeah and the thing i i love his parents um they're they're very special special to me and uh his mom just had a recent birthday and we were texting and um they, they, even his english high school um teacher uh, had an event for the book and i got to meet people that knew him as a child and it, it's it's really interesting um, how when when you lean into something that's occurring and you're open for conversations and you're open to cry about it and it still stings 18 years later because um, he has been gone 18 years but he's still alive and very much around us and the energy I feel it I feel like he's he's with me on this tour every step of the way. That's that's a familiar feeling that I have, of course, every week when I sit down uh, to talk. Uh, I, f- I actually feel my my wife here very much, but other people too who are sure. all a part of my perspective on on death. So I know what you're you're talking about, and that you know one of your chapter names is "Miracles Happen Every Day." <laughs> yeah. uh, isn't that a miracle that that you can that we can feel that way about it? Oh yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I never would have predicted that. Well, you know, it's it's like when when we broke up, I just assumed he didn't love me and moved on. And and there's, you know, of course in the chapter it talks a little bit about my struggle of 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 moving on a little bit and and so to find out that he loved me. Um and that so was much. his motivation perhaps yeah, even. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's, it's, yeah, it's very special. And, and for his parents, Lynn and Keith to, to still have that picture of us on in their bedroom. Um, it's, it's, they're a part of me and they will be probably a part of me for the rest of my life. And that's the awesome part of it is that I have never been married and I've never felt like it was like what it's to be like a daughter-in-law or to some kind of, but in a way I do. Um, mm-hmm. And that's that's really sweet. Um, that's really sweet um, to feel that way after so many years. So yeah, absolutely. Um, so I would love it if you would. Um, you know, you have so many stories in your book of people that you encountered in in the hospice in the seventeen years. And uh, I wondered what story sticks to you the most. You know, mm-hmm. you're you're obviously uh, sharing people you encountered with the world at the moment, going, you know, going here and there and talking about them. But I wonder who who moves you the most still, aside from Apple, of course. Yeah, um, <laughs> I. It's really interesting that you don't know the importance of of what individuals um, 
or try, I, I just see people coming in out of my life as teachers. And, you know, I don't know why I always have thought that. Um, and, and so when I changed the so kind of marketing of our local hospice organization into, you know, giving the microphone to the families and the patients, I started interviewing these individuals. And, and that's, that's how I got involved with some of the storytelling. And I, I found myself not in the moment thinking I was learning about how to live, um, but, but just being present and, and allowing their stories to impact me. Um, and, and so, yeah, there's, there's the five-year-old, um, that in hospice, when you get the, the call for a child, it's, it's devastating. And I just happened to be in the room where one of our hospice nurses asked a very difficult question. Um, the child was dying and the child asked, am I dying? And she asked twice because our hospice nurse said, you know, what does your gut say? And there was a long pause. And of course, I'm trying to get out of the room because I'm about to to just boo who and just cry. I'm just like hearing this this five-year-old voice talk about something that she should not even know about at five years old. And before I could even reach the door, she asked again, am I dying? And I, I'm so was so honored when our I heard our hosp, my ho, the hospice nurse that worked for us looked her square in the eye and just said yes and that little voice said I'm not afraid are you and, mm-hmm. and I know you're standing outside trying to grasp you know and con- don't because this is not your child you're not part of their family but it, it was this moment of trust your gut and I and when I decided to leave a uh, 17 career in a and not in end of life, but in a, for a hospice organization, I heard faith, you know, trust your gut. I heard that hospice nurse again and, and the face voice saying, I'm not afraid. Are you? Um, and that, and it just came around. And I think one of the, the big stories in the book that I find still impactful is the forgiveness chapter where, you know, I'm sitting there this man wants to talk, tell me his story and thinking, you know, at the end of life, there's, there's some commonality in stories, but when he started off with, you know, he was so appreciative to, to have, um, people, um, in his life. And then he ends with, but I've made very, very big mistakes. I never thought he would say that he had murdered someone. Um, but he did. And, and we, we go through that chapter and, and who actually, um, came to visit him was the small child that was present during that murder and, and got him out of jail. And it, that to me, uh, you know, his real name was Gabriel, um, which is so fitting. Um, mm, yes. But we, we changed it to Frank in the book. But um, that story to me, because if Linda can forgive a man for killing uh, her mother, you know, 40 some years later, because she was only six, um, then I think, gosh, what, who do I, who can I forgive? And why am I carrying stuff like that around? Um, And I think that's a huge chapter for me and a life lesson. Yeah, I've, I've, it's about time for a break, but I've interviewed several people in that circumstance where they have come over time to forgive uh, someone who has murdered their loved one and um, 
it it's it always carries what what that story carried in your book, which is I I I needed not to carry it around anymore. Mm-hmm. I forgave for myself. Mm-hmm. I think that's very really impacts me that that idea. Let's go to our second break, and then we'll come back for one more go round. Okay, and, <laughs> um, listeners, you can you can find us both during the break. You can find me at my website, weatherandgrief.com, and at the Good Grief Host page. And you can find Kimberly C. Paul at deathbydesign.com. Back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Ready to transform your health and your world? Join host Melissa Alexander for Insight Living with Vitality. Melissa and her guests go behind the scenes on what it takes for practitioners and clients to transform themselves and others. She provides insight to medical procedural breakthroughs, available product resources, and explains lifestyle choices designed to improve and expand your vitality. It's time to get rid of that baggage, remove those blockages, and prevent buildup from hindering your progress in life. Tune in every Monday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent, inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Explore the power of natural healing with Howard Strauss. Join us each week for an informative program that will help you learn effective healing methods using natural remedies. Howard's guests include top researchers, authors, and experts who will share their views on a variety of natural products and healing methods that really work. Tune in to The Power of Natural Healing with Howard Strauss, Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all of our show archives on demand. All from your iOS, Amazon Kindle, or Android device. Download it from the Apple App Store, Amazon, or Google Play, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm here with Kimberly C. Paul, and we've been talking about her book, Bridging the Gap, her work, uh, in her podcast, Death by Design. And what, what we're going to talk about this last third, Kimberly, is really your, your tour, the Live Well, Die Well tour, 
Um, do you recall how that how that idea came about for you? How it developed, and and um, you know what you envisioned for it. Uh, well, if you had told me, uh, you know, two and a half years ago that I'd be living in an RV with my German Shepherd going state to state and talking and normalizing death and dying conversations, I would I would tell you you need a Xanax. I mean, that's insane. <laughs> um, I, I would be like, no way. There would be no way. Um, I'm, I'm good friends with Tim Bauerschmidt and Ramey Little, who wrote this awesome book called Driving Miss Norma. And Tim drove and Remy took Tim's mom around in an RV the last uh, year of her life. And she ended up dying um, the way she wanted to. And they just happened to be coming through Wilmington on their next adventure sailing, I think the Great Loop it's called. And they were now on a boat and they parked outside of Wilmington and they invited me over to the boat and we're having dinner and, and we were talking about me doing something with an RV and and kind of honoring Miss Norma and Tim's mom and talking about end of life. And, and just like Frank asked me in the forgiveness chapter, you know, what are you waiting for? Um, you know, forgiving other people or making amends to mistakes in your life. Tim kind of took me and said, what are you waiting for again? And it kind of shook me to the core of my being and I, I, I sat there and talked about that I was just scared. I was afraid. I've never driven an RV. I've never put a car on the back of a dolly and towed it around behind a 29-foot <laughs> RV. Um, and, and they were just like, so what? So what? Do it. And within two weeks, I had gotten the RV and, um, and started planning this in, uh, crazy adventure, which is probably the the most scariest thing I've ever done, but one of the most uh, real things, and it makes me feel totally alive. Like I was actually born to do something. Um, mm. And that's, you know, I've been to nine states so far. Uh, Friday, we are heading down to Florida, um, and we'll have, you know, book signings. Um, I know um, we're possibly going to do one in Jacksonville, Orlando, uh, Fort Lauderdale, Miami, and then Key West. Um, and I'll meet up with Tim and Remy in Key West. Um, they're going to be there on their boat. And so that's sort of how I evolved. It, it sort of came to me. And I remember thinking to myself, this is crazy. Like really thinking out loud, like this is this is crazy. I'm not doing this. And so I was like, okay, God, show me a sign. You know, hey, show me a sign. Seriously, you said ask, <laughs> I shall receive. And you know, really testing the big man. And and I left my house on a, a jaunt to walk in the park with my dog. And there was this colored rock that said, God, God loves you. Never in my life have I seen anything in that park like that. And mm. I picked it up, put it in my pocket, and I said, I'll take it. I'll take that as a sign. And, um, and so everything has not been easy, um, but I'm 
interested in connecting in in all 50 states. And I'm open if anyone is interested in having me. I do book readings. I do private book readings. Um, but I also do, I, I will leave the tour um, if if someone would like me to be a speaker at their conference. or And I'll park the tour, board the dog, and, and fly in and fly out in a matter of time to get back on the road. Because, you know, a lot of people are really interested in, in how I'm supporting the tour. And, you know, if, if you want to get rich, do a podcast and write a book. Because uh, that you if you don't want to get rich, you know, do those two things. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's because not. It's I was going to say, wait, what? Really? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I said that wrong. <laughs> but seriously, yeah. it's it's been probably the richest experience of my life so far. And and sitting around and and meeting interesting people, um, connecting, connecting with people. There is good people out in this world. And, you know, I don't have television. I don't see the news. It's taken me, you know, several days to hear about the synagogue shootings. And, and I heard it from another human being who was just happened to be Jewish. And a tear told me very humanly about how she felt about that. And, and I just... I just had so much compassion um, and I loved how even I'm hearing hard things. Um, you know, I, 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 the, the world is so angry, um, you know, whether it's about politics or religion. And what I'm finding is, is two things when I meet people, they're human beings and they're going to die. And what we do right now in front of us is we can either connect and you can teach me something about your views, or we can sit here and tell each other you're wrong. And I don't want to do that. I want to. I want someone to teach me. Why do you think that way? Show me. Tell me. Um, I want to learn from from people that cross my path. And sometimes I hope people are learning from me. Um, but that's what I'm experiencing these these deep conversations with complete strangers, and they're they're changing my life. I just spent three days in Summertown, Tennessee on the farm um, with the farm community. And I have never been so moved in my life um, with the connection. Um, I, w- I was there for three days and I'm hugging people and telling them I love them. Goodbye. Wow. And, mm. and that, that just is so rich for me. Um, and that's why I'm doing this. And another reason the Live Well, Die Well Torque evolved is that I don't think I can change a lot of people on a stage um, behind a podium. I believe true change and true connection happens one person at a time and one community at a time and, and possibly one state at a time. And, and that's what I'm looking for. And that's why it's important that, yeah, I can speak and I can, I, I look forward to it because that's a way that I'm supporting the tour financially. But I want to really say, I know people in Tennessee um, and I love people in Tennessee and, and, and really have that deep, rich connection. Um, and it's, we, we laugh a lot. We cry a lot. Uh, but you, you lay your head down feeling like you have truly lived that day. Mm. It's been it's been amazing, and so yeah, the podcast will continue um, with with just people I meet, and I want to give um, the everyday person uh, a platform. And I I'm meeting with hospices and 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 telling them like, look, I, I do have relationships with people in Washington, and I do know SeaTac and and 
you know, government officials and congressmen. And how can I get your voice as a hospice nurse into their ear? Tell, tell me your stories. And how can I create a platform that your voice could change how regulations occur? Um, because, you know, it's really hard to die of old age in America under the hospice care benefit. And we want to change that. And we want to yes. create a, a benefit that's rich, but also is rich for employees, too. Um, so, you yeah. know, the, the other thing that comes to my mind is that uh, I, uh, way too recently, to not be embarrassed about, given what I do for a living, finished all my end-of-life documents. Right. Um, <laughs> what, what, what made it difficult for me is a different problem from other people. Um, I can think of all the many different circumstances that could that could come about, and I had to kind of think about what mattered to me in all of them. You know, so it was a little right. overwhelming. <laughs> but um, actually, the if you just stand on a stage and say, "Fill out your advance directive." It's not deep enough to really get people thinking about how they want to die. It's it's kind of more about how they don't want to die. Right. Um, and I've become fascinated with how I actually want to die and how that's changed over time. Like, I don't want to die in my sleep, you know, right. as a lot of people do, because I want to be able to say goodbye, you know. <laughs> well, I want to see people cry that they're going to miss me. I yeah, want and I want to cry that I'm going to miss them. And, yeah, you yeah. know, <laughs> I want a little time. Come on. So yeah. um, those kinds of ideas have come about because of conversations mm-hmm. where, uh, for me, I've talked with so many people who've lost someone and... And so I'm exposed to all these different ways that how we die impacts the people who love us. Um, and so it's not an easy conversation, but I want those conversations sure. because they're they're so rich is the mm-hmm. right word, so deep. They they open up uh, every possible subject, really. Absolutely. And you know, before I even left on the tour, I sat down. Um, my parents and my best friend from high school filled out in North Carolina. We do a most form because I knew that most likely the chance of me dying, traveling and doing this adventure would be increased by what I'm doing. And so I really wanted them to have a guide and hear me say what I wanted. And so, you know, here's, you know, my dad and mom and, and, and best friend sitting in a room saying, if this happens, I need you to hear me and what I want. Um, and the funny thing is, my dad isn't my healthcare power of attorney. It was, you know, my stepmom and and my best friend, but, you know, I consider my stepmom a mom. And my dad said, why, why not me? And I said, Dad, I don't, I think we are so close. Could you really could you really not put me in a nursing home and let me live the next 20 years on a vent? He goes, I don't, I don't think I could turn on. I don't think you could turn off the machine. He goes, I I think you're right. I'm like, yeah, that's why you're not my healthcare power to turn. You really got to think through that for sure. And, and that person might be out of it at the time. Yeah. I so love that we had that, that, that conversation and that he knew why I I didn't choose him. So yeah, it was, it was amazing. I still reference lots of conversations like that with people that I've lost uh, when we really talked about, you know, I, I, I don't have a lot of leftover, did I do the right thing stuff. Uh, 
So I've loved having you. And oh, I, I, I hope you. we're going to spend some time together when you get to California. Totally. And, and I get to vicariously tour your RV, maybe. Yes, I'll even let <laughs> so you drive it. Keep me up to, keep me up to date on what's I will. going on. I, I really want to hear about it. Um, to find Kimberly, you can go to deathbydesign.com. Next week, I'll have Anita Sanchez, author of The Four Sacred Gifts, Indigenous Wisdom for Modern Times. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You probably don't spend too much time talking about that place down there. Why not? There's now a show where that's mostly what we talk about and so much more. It's the Womb Happy Hour with host Lorraine Giordano. It's all about your body and the magical power you possess. Guys, you might want to tune in too. There's no reason to be squeamish. Listen for the Womb Happy Hour, broadcasting live every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time and 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. MailJet is changing how teams email with the launch of their collaboration toolkit. Create and send emails with your team faster with real-time collaboration and in-app commenting. Learn why businesses like